Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Stewards your Word correctly. This isn't, this isn't some little thing, Father. This is, this is amazing that you have entrusted us with your Word. Uh, and, and it needs attention. It needs care. It needs provision. It needs, the, uh, uh, it, it needs precision, I should say. And how we extract this word. Lord, we just ask tonight, we never want to take this word and try to make it fit around our life. We don't want to take this word and make it fit what we think, take this word and make it fit how we live or what we want. We truly, tonight, we want to take our lives and let our lives be molded by your word. We just honor your word, Lord. It is the highest authority in the universe. Your word settles it. It doesn't matter what our opinions are. It doesn't matter what our differences are. As Christians, we have submitted to your word as the ultimate authority in our lives. And your word is our light and our lamp that you point the direction for us through your word. So Lord, I just ask for the Holy Spirit who lives in each believer present to speak to us, to give us wisdom, knowledge, and revelation through the word of God tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to finish it tonight. I've said it in my heart. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to try to not go down too many rabbit trails. Uh, And that's kind of what I'm, you know, we just launched this. So if you don't know, this is only like our, what, third week doing this. And so it is new. You know, I've been trying to kind of find my vein because I'm a person. I love the Bible. I love sitting around talking about the Bible. If you like talking about the Bible, I'm sure we could get together and just talk for literally hours on end. I just, I just enjoy it. And so I can catch myself doing that. But really what I want to do is I don't want to just read this and kind of give you John's opinion. You know, I really want to just stay as true to the text as possible because that's how I want to study this work uh, for all of us. I think that we're, we're I mean, as a whole, this generation is really guilty of that, of just taking the word way too lightly Right? We have a creative point we want to make. So what do we do? We pick through the scripture and we try to find one little verse that mentions that word so that we can use it to make our creative little point. And we totally just take the word of God out of context and miss so much. So I really want to stay true to the word of God. Uh, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to just go over main themes and thoughts and go verse by verse. It's going to be great. So last week we ended at Romans 16 and 17, I'll go ahead and start there and and kind of tie it up and then we'll move on. So Paul, uh, as I said, Paul is actually giving us the theme of the entire letter. This is the first chapter. So you guys got to realize, you know, this wasn't a book. This was one entire letter. And I'll also say this. This is an interesting fact. Did you know that Paul actually invented an entire new form of writing when he wrote these letters? So... If you look and you study kind of how they did things in ancient times, they would only have about, I believe it was like, at most, 190, 200 words per letter. They were very short, very precise, because they had these little papers that they had to fit everything on, and 
And, and that's the way that they just did things. So when Paul wrote this letter, there's actually over 7,000 words in the book of Romans. And so Paul, he wasn't just writing a letter, he's actually writing a doctrinal discourse. Like that stuff really didn't happen. Uh, that was a, you know, today we have books, we have big pieces of literature. He was kind of revolutionary and the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to be the first one to really establish that in history. So that's just an interesting nugget for you. So right here, think about it as a piece of literature. You know, he's opening up, he's introducing himself to these Roman Christians. He's never met them. So he's just writing, kind of introducing, I'm the Apostle Paul. This is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, and so we actually have the entire theme of like, this is what he is trying to set up for the entire book of Romans. You have verse 16 and 17. He said, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Gentile. So this is kind of his main point, verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So he gives us the theme for the entire book of Romans. If you read the theme of Romans, like what he continues to just say chapter after chapter is he's proving that we are made right with God, not by obeying the law, but by God's grace when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're an American Christian, you know, that may seem like, well, duh, you know, we all know that we've heard that. But can I tell you guys to these Jews, that was very controversial. There was a bunch of Jewish people that you know, they believed in Jesus and they had kind of been brought into this, but they were trying to tell everybody, hey, no, you got to follow the law of Moses. If you don't get circumcised, if you don't observe our holidays and our traditions, if you don't do these things, then you're actually not right with God. And so Paul, he just comes right out of the gate. And he says, that's absolutely not true. You are made right. And this is accomplished from beginning to end by faith. Can you say by faith? And so we talked about last week, if you didn't get notes, write this down. Romans 1.17 birthed the Protestant Reformation. You may ask, what, what, what's the Protestant Reformation? Let's break those words down. It literally means protestant, protest, reformation. It's when the church was literally reformed through the protest of the Catholic church. It's when a man named Martin Luther, he wrote a 95 kind of point essay where, where we went over kind of the history and I'm not going to do all of that again tonight. But he learned how to read the text because again, in that time, they didn't have access to the Bible. The Bible was written in Latin and it was chained you know, at the, at, the, at the Roman established churches that they ordained. They had a, a Bible that was written in Latin chained to a pulpit. Nobody could read it. Nobody even read Latin and nobody could take it home. Only the priests who were trained to read it were able to read it. And you, you know the history of that from that point forward. You have all this corruption. Somebody would get up here and, you know, it's like me getting up here speaking in pig Latin and saying, thus saith the Lord, you know, you have to give me all your cows and your, and your car. And if you don't give me your cows and your car, then your aunt that died last week is going to hell, says the Lord. That's the kind of stuff they would do. So they were manipulating people. Well, Martin Luther, he starts learning how to read Latin, and all of a sudden he's reading this book, and he comes to Romans 1.17, and he says, 
the, the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Another translation says, the righteous shall live by faith. It is through faith that the righteous have life. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And now uh, Martin Luther got this revelation. Hey, hold on a second. Right? The Catholic Church was telling everybody, if you want to be made right with God, you need to give 40% of your income. If you want to be made right with God, whenever the little collectors come around and they take up an extra collection, you have to give to it because the Pope's trying to build a temple. They taught people this kind of stuff. And they actually believed it, right? If you had a child that died or something like that, tragic happened. They would say, if you want to secure that your child has a, you know, a place in heaven, you can, you can give this special gift and do this little hokey pokey religious thing. And, and then, you know, the, we'll, give, we'll, we'll send a word to the Lord and he'll make sure that your child goes to heaven. So all of a sudden, Martin Luther reads this and says, hey, hold on a second. I'm made right with God by faith. Means I don't have to do any of that. That means when I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, God counts me as righteous and I'm justified just simply by believing. And then all of a sudden, he began to read this Bible and and he, he wrote a 95 basically points that contradicted challenging the Pope and he nailed it on the front of the door. And he said, here's 95 things that you guys are teaching that is actually a lie according to the Word of God. And guys, I'm telling you, this kind of spirit, we need it in 2021. We kind of live in a time where everybody's just trying to be everybody's best friend. And we just preached a sermon, a, a series about love. I'm not talking about not loving people. But guys, there is a time to stand. I mean, it, it, there is a time to stand. There is a time to stand up, to speak against some of the issues that are at hand because they're from the devil. Whenever you look at what's happening in the world and you see, according to the Word of God, that it's being driven by an antichrist spirit, we as a church in the name of love can't just be silent. So you think about, you know, in the United States, you can kind of say what you want. And the worst that's going to happen is what they'll take you off Facebook, take you off YouTube for like three days, whatever. That wasn't the case. In this time, if you spoke against the Catholic Church, you are going to be murdered for it. So, I mean, this guy wasn't just like, hey, let's have a little healthy debate. You know, he was literally signing his death certificate saying, I am making a stand for the word of God. There's really a point to be made in this. I told our core group Monday, the kids, we just disciple and stuff every week. <laughs> Somebody sent me a video and it was graphic. It was horrible. It really just made me sick. But it was Christians. There was about 30 Christians. I don't know if any of you guys saw this. But they were lined up on, on, a, on the ground with their hands tied. And there was a firing squad behind them. And one by one, they just the Taliban went by and killed, shot each one of them in the back of the head. Killed them. And, I mean, it's horrifying. You know, it doesn't leave anything left out. It's sickening. It's horrifying. It's so demonic. But here's the reality of it. In other countries, Christians are willing to die for Jesus. But in America, we're still trying to convince Christians to live for Jesus. It's really true. I know that sounds cliche, but think about that. In other countries, Christians are, really, are literally willing to die for Jesus. But in America, we're still trying to convince them to live for Jesus. You know, I mean, to truly like surrender everything. And so when you really think about that, I'll say this. You know, your, our problems matter to God. But I think about in the scheme of things like, Lord, I'm over here worried about this thing. And there's Christians over there. 
getting shot in the head for refusing to deny Christ. I mean, is my problem really? Like, is it really that significant? Does it really matter that much? You know what it makes me do? Is it honestly makes me thank God that we have the freedoms that we have in this country. Really just thank the Lord. Lord, a lot of people don't have this privilege. You know, even in the modern era, the Taliban and a lot of other countries, even if you're a Christian and you make a TikTok video mentioning Christ, much less have a church like this, you just make a video mentioning Christ. They'll come find you, drag you out of your house, mutilate your wife and children, and then torture you and kill you. Just for something as simple as like making a little TikTok video you know, about Christ, some little funny thing. They actually did that to a person. So we have freedoms, and I want to tell you guys, these freedoms, they're free to us, but they weren't free to everybody. And so we have a brother that served. I don't know if any of you also served in the military. You know, we've had some Marines and different military people die uh, that we've seen kind of on the news. But, you know, my point in saying all of that is this message, it, it does come at a cost, and, it, and, and there is a time for us to stand. You know, there is a time, I know we think, well, that would never happen in the United States of America. Can I tell you, if the church doesn't stand, it will happen in the United States of America. It will. We're not that far removed. Well, a few hundred years ago, you know, that <laughs> the United States was formed not just for freedom of religion, because they wanted the freedom to serve Jesus. The founding fathers, they truly, they wanted the freedom to serve Christ. Because the same thing had basically happened, you know, in the European church. They had ordained preachers. Only people that were allowed to preach were people that were ordained by the state. And they had to preach messages that were in line with kind of the push, you know, on the civilians of what they wanted them to do. So we broke free of that. and We formed the United States. And all I'm saying is this, guys, there's a time to stand. Our generation has its own fight. We may not be in war right now. You know, I know Prophet Mario Murillo, he talked about this. But he said in World War, in World War II, you know, there were 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. Think about the beach of Normandy. You know, a lot of those guys, after the first wave, when they, when they pulled up, they knew. They knew when that gate falls down, I'm dead. Like, and they still did it. Because there was strategy behind it. Basically, if we can keep pushing and pushing and pushing, yes, we may lose some people, but eventually we're going to take this beach if we keep sending people and troops and pushing. And that's what happened. You know, but you think about that. You ask yourself the question, well, did those 17-year-olds have dreams outside of the war? Did they have hopes? Did they have desires? Did they have families? Yeah, they did. But there came a moment of sacrifice. There came a moment where they said, I have to lay my life down. I have to stand for the benefit of something else, even if it costs me my life. Guys, I'm telling you, the church has got to stand in this hour. Everybody's afraid of... If the virus, everybody's afraid of the government, everybody's afraid of all these things, there's got to come a fight inside of us where we do end up standing and say, you know what, I'm going to stand, even if it costs me my life. It's really true, but one of, the, one of the points of Christianity is we're not afraid to die. And I just think it's so crazy that everybody's making so many decisions trying to like preserve their life on this earth. Don't get me wrong, God wants you blessed on this earth. And he's got a promise and blessings that pertain to life on this earth. But that's, that's the thing. is like, when, at what point 
Did the most important thing in Christianity become protecting your own life? It's not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said, you know, you must pick up your own cross and follow me. He wasn't just talking about just denying your fleshly desires. He was literally saying, the way that they're going to nail me to the cross, do you know how Apostle Peter died historically? He was crucified upside down. Because, yeah, he was going to get crucified just like Jesus. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Flip it upside down. They flipped the cross upside down and crucified him hanging upside down. That's how Peter, the apostle, died. So when Jesus literally said, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross, he wasn't just speaking metaphorically. He was literally saying, you have to follow me, even if it leads to death, even if it costs you your life. That, that, that core has been taken out of the modern church. And so Martin Luther fought. Martin Luther stood. And thank God that he did because what happened? He read this. He got a revelation of the Word of God. And I'll go ahead and write this down. But there was a, there was a, there was a slogan that came from the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther stood. You know, because they threatened him. Basically, they came and he had this challenging with the Pope. And, and he made this statement to the Pope. He said, Sola Scriptura. Which basically meant the Scripture alone. Right? So in the Catholic and Catholicism, the Pope's authority was equal to the Word of God. So if the Pope said it, it, it was the same as the Bible. It was the Word of God. Martin Luther stood up with his life on the line and said, you know what? I'll say it to your face and I'll say it to everybody listening to me. It's the Word and the Word alone. God's Word is the ultimate authority. And if you say anything against it, you're wrong. Let this Word be true and every other man a liar. Amen. You know, that's the, that's the point that he made. And so the Pope looked at him and said, you know what, we're going to give you 24 hours to change your mind. You go change your mind and let us know. He went home that night. He thought about it. He went back to this verse. The righteous shall live by faith. And the next day he showed up and he said, I'm not changing my mind. They sentenced him. They were going to kill him. But thank God, God rescued him. Uh, basically, these bandits went and stopped the carriage in the middle of the woods that he was enchained in and set him free, took him to a private castle. You know, you would think at that point, right, this guy's like, oh my gosh, that was close. Okay, Lord, you know, I did it. I fulfilled my purpose. I'm done. I played my part. What did he do? He went and got the printing press that was just invented and translated the Bible that was in Latin into German and started sending it out to everybody. <laughs> you think about that. You know, Martin Luther, for the longest time, he actually didn't even get married. For one, because the, the priest... Think about this. You know... They, the, the Catholic Church says that Peter was the first priest or the first pope. Where did it come from? That's what they really believe. The first pope was Peter. He was the rock on which the church was built. They call Peter the first pope. Peter had a wife according to the Scriptures. So at what point did it become you know, law that the, a pope could not, or the, a father, you know, they, they were sworn to celibacy. They couldn't have a wife. At what point did that take place? Let me tell you the, the reality that ended up happening. Was these men, at first it wasn't so. They could have wives, they could have families. Uh, but then the church started getting mad whenever these men of God, the father, the leader, the pastor, you know, basically they started getting frustrated and mad. When they would die 
And all of the inheritance was left to the family. The wife would get blessed. The children would get blessed. So they actually made a rule. You can't be married because they wanted these men to basically work their whole lives slaving for this religion. And then when they died, everything would be given back to the church. So I'm just giving you another nugget of how demonic this was. So Martin Luther, he didn't get married for a long time. But the other reason why is he found a woman that he loved. But he actually told her for a while, he said, I'm not going to marry you because I could die at any moment. And he said, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right for me to marry you and bring children into this world and then me just die and you be left here with nobody to take care of you. But he did end up getting married and had children and was very blessed. But I mean, that just shows you the reality, the conviction that this man stood for the Lord. And that all came from a simple revelation of one verse. You know, think about how privileged we are. If an entire revival, one of the greatest revivals that's ever taken place on planet Earth since Acts chapter 2 was birthed when a man had access to one verse of Scripture. All he had was Romans 1.17. And it birthed the Protestant Reformation. Here we are in 2021, and we have the entire Word of God. We have every translation under the sun. You know what? You know, you could find... <laughs> they even have Hawaiian pigeon on the Bible app. Have you guys ever read that? It's like, literally, the book of Acts is called The Jesus Guys. The Jesus Guy. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only boy. Like, it's crazy what it says. We have all these translations... And I guess the question that we need to ask ourselves are, what are we doing with it? This man got a revelation of one verse, and that's what it caused in his life. What are we doing? We have this entire word. I'm going to get to it this, this Sunday. We're starting a series called Sustainable Life. And I'm going to preach about the importance of having the word of God in your life. It's what we're going to preach about this Sunday. But the reality is most Christians don't read the Bible. I don't know why we're... <laughs> There's no reason, guys, I'm telling you, in 2021, there's no reason we should be illiterate. You know, William J. Seymour, he was the man that started the Azuzu Street Revival. Uh, he was a black man. He wasn't even allowed in Bible college at the time. He actually, in order to even learn the Bible, he had to go. And, and the Bible professor, they wanted to help him, but they knew it was against the law. So what did they do? He would go before his lectures, open the window, and William J. Seymour would sit outside the window for years and just listen and listen and listen. He couldn't even read or write. And yet God took this man and started a, one of the greatest, basically modern Pentecost came from the Azusa Street Revival that took place. In the early 1900s, used a color man and a time where it was illegal. It was illegal for whites and blacks to, you know, to co-mingle together. I mean, it, you just see God takes the things that the world calls foolish and uses them to exalt or to uh, humble the proud. So, let's keep reading. I love Romans 1.17. Let's take a few things out of this verse. It says, This is the good news that tells us that God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. I want to kind of pull this out. Start to finish by faith. Here's something that's so important for us as Christians to understand. What a lot of us do is, is 
Number one, a lot of people have a hard time even really receiving God's grace because we're constantly trying to earn it. So we've been going over this. You can't earn God's grace on your life. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. And a lot of us think that God, he's not blessing me. I'm not right with God because I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough good things. I haven't done enough good works. I haven't been religious enough. You cannot earn it. It says it starts by faith, not by works. So say by faith. But it says this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. So what does that mean? Not only do we start by faith, we are sustained by faith. So that, what Christians actually do is they'll receive God's grace. They'll come into this and they'll get wrecked and just saved by the Lord, touched by God. But then a month or two into it, now that they've been saved by God's grace by faith, now they're trying to do works to try to keep it. Now I've got to do all this stuff to keep it because if I don't, then I'm going to step outside. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. Hallelujah. So you don't ever have to at any point in your life, you know, start trying to earn things with God. And I'm going to cover that in a moment. The only thing that you have to do in order to keep your salvation, the only thing that you have to do is keep your faith. As long as you keep your faith, you keep your salvation. So what does that mean? It's basically we have to humble ourselves. Right? Because I'm telling you guys, I know what happens. We, we get saved and then, you know, we start getting blessed. We start doing things right for like the first time in our entire lives. And what ends up happening? Most people start thinking, wow, I'm really something. Man, I'm really something. Let me tell you how good I've been. Let me tell you how awesome I've been. You know what? You read three chapters of the Bible a day. Well, I read 15. I read the entire book of Exodus yesterday. You know, we start thinking that we're awesome. That we're really something. And that's really great. But then a month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by, and then something happens in our life where we weren't meeting that standard anymore. Now what, what takes place in our hearts? Well, now I'm not right with God anymore. Well, now because I'm not, I'm not performing at this level, I'm not right with God, and now I feel distant, and now in order to feel right with God, I need to go back and do all these things. You started in grace, you started by faith, but at some point you got into your standing with God being earned by your works. From start to finish, by faith. So what that means is being humble and saying, never lose this. Lord, I know that without You, I'm going straight to hell. I know that without You, I'm not anything, Lord. Without You, I can't do nothing. I can't be anything. That I just humble myself, Lord. If it wasn't for You, I trust you to be my righteousness because I know that I could never be good enough in myself to be my own righteousness. I trust you. Lord, I trust by faith because I've called on the name of Jesus Christ that when I stand before you in heaven, you're not going to look at me and cast me away. You're going to welcome me into your kingdom and count me as righteous, not because I've earned it and been amazing, but because I've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust you for my salvation, Lord. I trust you for your grace. That's what it means from start to finish by faith. So write this down as well. Stop trying to earn things with God because you can't. 
Guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to prove it to you in just a moment. We actually can't earn things with God. That's not the way that it works. But you know what the Bible says? Even our, our righteousness is as filthy rags to Him. So, I mean, we do. I, I've heard it said like this. Think about this ceiling. How tall is this ceiling? Probably 20 feet. You know, I can jump really high. You know, you may have looked at that. You're 6'4", John. You can jump way up there. Right? But then some little... Look, come up here, honey. No, you're not going to do it. Come on. Just, just jump as high as you can. So it's like, jump. So she can't even jump as high as my hand is. So we look at her. We're like, wow, you know, you, you're not that good. You didn't jump that high. But then I, over here, we're looking at John, and he jumps up, and you're thinking, wow, he jumped really high. But can I tell you something? Neither one of us can touch the ceiling. In order to be righteous, it's not just being really, really good. God is the standard. So that means that if you're not able to be Him, then you miss it 100%. It doesn't matter if I jumped up there and got an inch away. If I'm an inch away, I still missed it. And if I missed a little bit of it, I missed all of it, the Bible says. So what do we do? We have to realize, I and myself could never do this. But we do that. We look at people and we, wow, you're really spiritual. You're really awesome. You're really amazing. You can't earn things with God. Look at Romans 4, 4 through 6. It says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous. Look at this. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. So here's, here's the point. If you earned it, then it's not grace. According to this verse, if you earned it, then it's not grace. Because he said grace, grace is a free gift. We're going to read this all throughout the book of Romans. I can't wait to get to chapter 3 and 4 and 5. It's going to be amazing. But grace is a free gift. This is the only way that God gives it to us is by faith, not by earning it. It's a free gift. So he said, when you go to work, your boss doesn't pay you at the end of the week as a free gift. You've earned it, right? That's your wage. I did all of these things for you, and this is what you gave me in return. He says that this is not the way that it works. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So you're not counted righteous. You don't have God's grace come upon your life because you've earned it. You have to receive it as a free gift from the Father. But I'm telling you guys, we try to earn it. We do this with spiritual disciplines, right? Right, if somebody doesn't get healed, what's our answer? You didn't pray enough. I guess you didn't pray enough. You know what? You prayed for six hours, but if you would have pressed through and prayed for eight hours, maybe they would have got touched. Well, man, you're really not blessed. I guess you haven't been reading your word enough. Things aren't going the way. I guess you know, we, we get into this. We're trying to earn things. And that's what we begin to think. Well, if I pray enough, then I'm going to do these things and then there's going to be a transaction where God gives me this because I did this. That's not grace. 
Can I go so far as to say we actually don't receive most of the time because we're actually doing it in our own work and our in our own flesh and not depending on God's grace. If that's a thought that crossed my mind, well, I guess I guess I don't have this blessing and it's it, it, quite to the extent of what I would like it to be. I guess it didn't happen because I didn't do enough. The reason that it didn't happen is not because you didn't do enough. The reason that you didn't happen is because the way that you think you're depending on yourself and not relying on God's grace. What is God's grace? God is, God's grace is His hand being extended to you in spite of yourself. Lord, I'm a sinner. I understand. I, I know. Lord, I haven't earned this. I haven't done enough. I know. That's what God's grace is. Amen. Amen. So we got to get out of that. Am I saying don't pray? Am I saying don't fast? Don't read your word? No. Can I tell you something? Pray because you love the Father. When you get out of I'm trying to do all these Christian things to get a transaction from God, and you get into, you know what? I'm going to pray because I love my Father. I'm going to read my word because I love the word and I want to read the word. I'm going to fast, not because I fast enough. And then once I you know, wear my body down to the point where I'm about to die, now I'll get a, an anointing power from God where I can do miracles and different things. Rely on God's grace. Lord, you give it to me freely because I believe because of my faith. Are you with me? This is the point. And if you're, if you're undecided about that, I'm telling you, stick around because there's no way that you'll come to any other conclusion after reading Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. It's going to be awesome. So let's keep reading. That was verse... Oh, I'm sorry. Did we read Galatians 3, 1 through 7? Let's read that real quick. Galatians 3, 1 through 7. This just reiterates the point a little bit more here. Galatians 3, 1-7, Paul said, You foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made very clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of His death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. He said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Doesn't that just clarify it? I mean, doesn't that clear it up? You started in faith, but at some point now you're trying to obtain this position with God by your works. He said, who's, bewi who, who's bewitched you? Have you come under a spell? God never even gave it to you to begin with because you earned it. He gave it to you because you believed. Can you say amen? All right, let's keep reading. Let's read verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. Hopefully y'all are getting something out of this tonight. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We've already covered the theme for the entire letter, right? Which is justification by grace through faith. That's the theme of the entire letter of the book of Romans. Now, there's not just one theme. Now he's going to go into sub-themes. And we're going to get into the first sub-theme that Paul is trying to prove a point. He's going to be saying all of these things trying to make a specific point. 
So here's what I'm going to show you. Is that if we don't read it in context, people can cherry pick scripture and actually assign a false identity to God. When you don't understand Paul, he's not just saying one little verse. He's actually, this was one whole letter. He's saying all of this, and, it, and there's a point. So we have to kind of step back and not just read one little verse. Look at it as a whole and kind of get the context of what Paul's saying. So this is the first theme that he gets into in the, in the book of Romans. Paul's trying to prove a point. He's showing them a problem, and then he's going to give them a solution. Right? Paul was a good salesman. He went in and, he, and he, he showed them their problem and said, don't worry about it. Right? Once he got them convinced, oh my gosh, you're right, I have this problem. He said, that's okay because I have the solution for you too. So this is the first theme. The sinfulness of all human beings. The first sub-theme that we're going to get to into the book of Romans, the sinfulness of all human beings, the Gentiles. So let's read it in this context. What Paul is basically trying to prove to these Gentiles is that all man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he specifically talks about the Gentiles. What is his point behind it? Is he's trying to prove to them why they need a Savior. And then he's going to tell them about Jesus, who was that Messiah, who was that Savior, and, and their way out of the problem that they're experiencing. So the first theme, the sinfulness of all human beings. Number one, the Gentiles. Look at verse 18. <laughs> it says, But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who, suppre who suppress their truth by their wickedness. So what was Paul saying? He was saying, yeah, there's a reality. God's anger, there is going to be a day of God's wrath. That's a fact. Amen. There is a day where Jesus Christ is going to judge the living and the dead. We're going to give an account to God. That's true. But what we can do, you know, you've heard about like Church of Wells. You know, they'll take something like this and they'll make this like the dominant message. They'll make this the day of wrath and they begin to assign this identity to God that He's angry, that He's just mad, and that He just wants everybody to be dead. So you better, you know, you better figure out something like right now. That's a false identity assigned to God. Paul is actually trying to build a case. He's showing them, guys, look, I'm going I'm to prove, prove this point to you. There is a day of the Lord's wrath. There is a day where God shows His anger as he says, as to all wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. But again, read it in the context of he's showing them the problem and then he's going to give them the solution. Paul is not saying, I hate people. People suck. God hates people. You know, all people are horrible and wicked. But people cherry pick that verse and make it seem like that's who God is. You know, if you study church history for the first several hundred years, Christians never denied the existence and the reality of judgment and hell, but it wasn't their predominant message. The predominant message of the early church was the God of love. For God so loved. John 3.16, their message literally was God loves the world so much. He gave His one and only Son so that whosoever believes in Him won't have to go to hell, but can receive eternal life. That was the message of, of 
The, the New Testament church for hundreds of years and then at some point it twisted and then now God's bad and He's mean and He's angry and He's just looking for an opportunity to squash you in your tracks. It's not true. God's extremely merciful. I've looked at my life and said, Lord, I know You're extremely merciful just by looking at myself. Hallelujah. Uh, so let's keep reading. Verse 19 through 20. It says this. So these people, they suppress the truth with their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Let's look back at verse 19. I want to pull some things out first. They know the truth about God because it has been made obvious to them. So this is what the Bible says. God's talking about these people that suppress the truth by their wickedness, but they're without excuse because they know about God. So let me give you this Bible fact. Every single human being has an intuitive knowledge of who God is. What do I mean by that? The same way, think about in the animal kingdom, the same way that sea turtles, you know sea turtles, they don't lay their eggs in the sea. They actually lay them on the beach. And then they leave them there. And they go back to the water. But it's so crazy, these little sea turtles, what do they do? They hatch. Does the sea turtle mom come back up and you know, nest them like a duck and, and lead them back? No, they hatch. And somehow they find their way back to the water by themselves. How, how do they do that? Because it's hardwired in their DNA. It's rooted on the inside. Of, it's a part of their identity that was assigned to them. They have this intuitive knowledge, this intuitive understanding that that's where they belong. The Bible actually says every single human being has that hardwired on the inside of them that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God is real. Every person. Every person knows. They can deny it. They can claim, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. And it's really true. Most of those people, when a gun's held to their head, they cry out for mercy to God. Well, I'm going to be real philosophical and try to you know, convince everybody otherwise until the moment their lives on the line and then they cry out to the God that they claim they don't even believe in. Every human being has an intuitive knowledge of God. It's hardwired on the inside of them. So write this down as well. God shows his, let's put these two verses together, verses 18 and 19. God shows his anger against, from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress their knowledge by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. So basically what this verse is saying is ultimately on the day of judgment, God's anger is going to fall on the people who their whole life, they've had an intuitive knowledge of God. I know there's a God. I know there's a God. We'll kind of get into some other things. But they've denied this knowledge of God. They never took any steps to pursue it. We'll look at this in just a moment. But I'll go ahead and kind of give you the foundation for it. Not only does every human being, according to the Scripture, have an intuitive knowledge of God, I believe that God calls every single person. 
So what I mean by that is every person's born. They just, it's hardwired in them. They know there's a God in heaven. They know that we're not alone. They know this isn't coincidence. They know there's more to life than just the little existence that we're living. It's hardwired in them. And on top of that, all throughout your life and my life, God has been calling us. If I look back at my life, and there's probably times that I, you know, I wouldn't even know from the time I was born till the time I'm, I'm 26 right now. There's been people that God's brought into my path that have tried to point me towards Jesus, tell me about Jesus, invite me to church. I've heard the message of the gospel. The Bible says that God calls everybody like that. And everybody has this intuitive knowledge. So, What, what, the, what the Bible's saying is that His wrath falls on people that suppress this knowledge with their wickedness and they're without excuse is basically what it's saying on the day of judgment, the people that receive the wrath of the Lord are going to be people that heard that call, that had that inward knowing, and yet they chose in their life to reject it. They chose to resist it. They chose, we're going to read, to trade the truth about God for a lie. And then they ended up dying in their sin. And so they'll be the ones that are subject to the wrath of God. So let's look at verse 20. So he says, they have this knowledge about God. God's made it obvious to them. Look at verse 20. I love this. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities. His eternal power and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So basically what God is saying in the Word is that you can know there's a God just by looking around at the world that's around you. Check this out. Do you have that picture, Tristan? Look on, on the left side, or your right side. You have a picture of a tree. Right? Look at medical science now. Look on the left side. That's a picture of a human lung. Isn't that crazy? Look how similar that that is. Look how, if you really look, we don't have any more pictures, but I've seen so many photos where they show like a human eye and then they show pictures of like a galaxy that's in, in the universe. It is absolutely impossible to look at things like this and say there's no creator. This all just happened by chance. You know, this is an interesting fact. Were you going to say something? Yeah. On the same subject as that right there, there's places on planet Earth that if you look at it from up above, up, up toward, upwards of like 1,500 miles or something like that, you can see like in one place in South America looks like an actual human heart. Yeah. And there are, there are places like that that it looked like the different body parts, and in that area is supposed to be the cure for like the heart disease, wow. the lung disease, and stuff. So like it's that. like everywhere around us. You know, it's also crazy. I, I saw this. Do you know why when you look in the sky, the sun and the moon look about the same size in the sky? Did you know that the sun and the moon are not the same size? Not even close. But did you know? Because of the ratio that the, that the moon is to the sun and the actual distance, you know, 
the moon is the perfect ratio compared to the sun and the perfect distance from the earth, from the sun, compared to the ratios that they look the exact same size in the sky. You can't look at that and think, well, this just happened by coincidence. Something just blew up, right? Some matter just came together. And from where? Where'd the matter come from? Where'd the energy come from? Where oh, we believe that these two little molecules and atoms collided? Cool. Where'd the atom come from? So you can believe in an internal atom, but you can't believe in a God? But the Bible says is that you can, if you trace this stuff back, it's not logical. You can believe it, but you've chose to resist it because if there's a God, that means that I'm accountable to something that's bigger than myself. So the Bible talks about these people that just resist, that resist, that ignore, that deny, and they'll stand before the Lord. And He called them, called them, called them, called them, called them. They ignored it, they ignored it. They, they chose to ignore that intuitive knowledge of who God was. His wrath will fall on these people. Now I'm telling you guys, God's extremely merciful. But I mean, that's just a fact. I, just, I think it's crazy. So let's look at verse 21. We've got about 15 more minutes and we're going to wrap it up here. 21 through 25. Let's read these verses. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. That's a picture of the world system. We think technologies replace God. Guys, I don't know about you, but if you look at history, I, I really like people say, well, it's proven by science. And I was like, science has disproved itself a hundred times over in the last hundred years. It proves the Bible. But I mean, you know, people... Even when it comes to like medical research and this is the medical, you have to trust the science. I mean, guys, we could go into this. It's just crazy. But think about science. 150 years ago, when a surgeon was going to wash his hands before performing a surgery, they thought that was just absurd. Crazy. Didn't make any sense. Right? But here's the point. As time goes on, our information changes. And these things that today, we're just, by God, we're so sold on it, we'll go to our grave on it. We see, <laughs> as information changes and we learn a little bit more, we weren't really right about that. So don't, don't bet your life on science. I'm telling you, the Bible says, the word of God changes not. The heavens and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain the same forever, Jesus Christ said. The word never changes. So don't bet your life on science. Bet your life on the Word of God because it's the same today as it was yesterday and it'll be the same. If Jesus tarries, it will be the same 100 years from now. Nations rise and fall. People change. But the Word of God never changes. <clears throat> so... It says, claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile and de uh, degrading things with each other's bodies. 
So, basically what this is talking about, they traded God's truth for a lie. Did we read that? Verse 25, I'm sorry. They traded the truth about God for a lie. That's where we're going to stop. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So God's wrath falls on these people. This is what it's talking about. Again, I don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but we all have this intuitive knowledge. And all throughout our life, God has called and he's called and he's called and he's used your mama and your daddy and your grandpappy or your friend from school. He's called you by name and tried to draw you to himself. But it's saying they traded the truth about God for a lie. What does that mean? Basically, they came to a point where they said, you know what, this isn't about logic. This is about, ooh, you know, I, like, I like this better. So what was that talking about? People choose other religions, not because they actually believe in the other religion. A lot of times it's because they like what the other religion offers them. They have appetites. They have desires. They already have it set in their mind. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. And they just run around looking for the first thing that appeases their carnal appetites. Guys, we do the same thing in the church. This demonic spirit, this demonic way of thinking has actually got its way into the church. What do people do? The Bible actually warns about in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they'll run around chasing after teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. So that's what the Bible talks about is that people have already determined, right? Hey, you know what? And I'm not condemning anybody, but it's just true. Hey, this church over here is cool with homosexuality. So what am I going to do? I have this conviction because it's hardwired on the inside of me that I know there's a God, but instead of really just submitting myself to this truth and trying to figure out who He is, I'm going to like appease that conviction, but appease my flesh at the same time and just look for the first person that will tell me what I want to hear, and then that's what I'm going with. Are y'all with me? That's, I mean, that's what happens. It's a feel-good thing. They trade the truth about God for lies and they jump on the first train that justifies their own appetites. Man, I like this religion. Why? Because it lets you have 15 wives and you're messed up in the head and one wife ain't enough for you and you're a lunatic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. I'm like, man, I can't imagine having two wives, much less 15 wives. I can't handle one wife half the time. <laughs> but you guys get my point is people just chase after whatever justifies their appetites. But guys, the same thing is we just pick and choose. This is what it is. It's this thing where we pick and choose. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose. I'm going to pick what I like and I'm going to throw away the rest. We do the same thing with the Word of God. We do the same thing denominationally. Guys, can I tell you? Christians do that. Well, I like this part, right? I like, I like the grace. I like the faith thing. But then when we read in Acts chapter 2, where they got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in other tongues, we, oh, I don't like that. It's in the Bible. It's in the, I, I don't care if I don't like it. It doesn't change the fact that it says it. 
It doesn't change the fact that when Peter preached to the, to the Gentiles for the first time, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in other tongues. It doesn't change that when Paul went to the church and he found these believers and he said, what baptism did you receive in Acts chapter 19? They said, well, we were water baptized. And he said, yeah, but there's greater than that that was prophesied and was about Jesus Christ. And he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And they started speaking in tongues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Right? Tongues, prophecy is greater than tongues. But he said, don't forbid speaking in tongues. But what do we do? Well, I don't really like that, so that just doesn't make me comfortable. So what I'm going to do is actually just run around until I find somebody who agrees with me, and then I'll stick with them, because I still get to appease this intuitive knowledge that I know Jesus is the Lord, and I know that He's God, but yet I still get to appease this flesh appetite that I have and, and rebellion against the Word of God. <clears throat> What'd you say? I said as long as somebody can translate. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you, my point, like the point, that's all, I mean, I just isolated that, but there's doctrines all throughout the Word of God that that's what we do that with. Right. Well, I'll take a little bit, guys, I'm telling you, it's not, what's that place where you build your own frozen custard? It ain't marble slab, all right? You can't just like pick your flavor, throw it up on the table. I'll take a little bit of that and some of this, mix it together, and Burger King have it your way. There is a truth. So write this down, and I'm about to wrap it up. There is a singular Lord and a singular way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that means that there's not multiple gods. There's one God. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. But He didn't only say, I am the Lord. He said, I am the way. What does that tell you? There is, there, I'm the way and the life and the truth. There's only one way. There's only one way to live life. There's only one way to live life that's truthful. And we all have to humble ourselves and come to this conviction where we say, Lord, I, don't, I can't live my way I have a responsibility because you are the Lord to not make you fit what I think, but to truly take my life and say, if you really are the Lord, and this is really true, then I have an obligation to figure out what you say and do what you say and not just do what I think. Let's read verse 26 and 27. It says this. So it says, they, they traded the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. Verse 27. And men, instead of having normal rela sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shame, same, shameful things with other men, and as a result of their sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Let's look at this thought here, 26 and 27. So you know what's actually interesting is, is Paul saying the climax of a person denying God, denying that intuitive knowledge, denying every time he calls and calls and calls, they deny it, they deny it, they deny it, they deny it. Paul's actually saying one of the signs that a person has done that or is doing that is homosexuality. One of the signs, because guys, I'm telling you, 
even biologically, it doesn't make sense. If we all came from monkeys or animals, do you know like the first rule of animal DNA, like they're hardwired, survive at all costs. It wouldn't even make sense to, to have sex with somebody that's the same sex as you. You can't procreate that way. Two men can't have a baby and two women can't have a baby. So if we came from monkeys, it would actually be hardwired in our DNA that this is wrong, this is not right, because we'll actually diminish our race by doing this, our species by doing this. Like it's, it doesn't even scientifically, scientifically make sense. What does that tell you? It's a defilement of the human body and it's a defilement of the image of God. So it's actually saying that homosexuality is kind of the peak uh, an outward thing that you can see when a person has denied the call. the call. He's called, he's called, he's called, and they've denied it. Now, I'm not saying homosexual people are condemned and going to hell. I'm not saying that. I will say I, I would believe that uh, uh, totally embracing that life would be really hard to come out of when you really embrace it. So, think about that, though. The result of a nation that denies the truth about God, denies the truth about God and trades it for a lie, the result of a nation is a nation that openly embraces homosexuality. What does that speak about the United States of America? At some point down the line, we've done this. We've denied the truth. We've denied this inner, this inner intuitive knowledge. We've denied the call of God and now it's, it's embraced. It's, a, you know, it's, it's really accepted in our nation as a whole. That's why the church has to speak up. You know, you don't have to preach homosexuals are going to hell. Why don't we just get people born again and the Holy Ghost will burn that thing out of them? So the Bible, here's a, here's a point that you can write down. According to Romans 1, and I know everybody in this room probably agrees with this, but the Bible does not condone homosexuality. You think, well, duh. But guys, can I tell you, there's an argument right now where people say, if you read the Greek, it never uses the word homosexual in it. Well... That's because the word wasn't invented until like the 1800s. This word wasn't written in the 1800s. Well, it doesn't use the word homosexual in it. Yeah, but you can. The woman has denied the right way to have sex and started having sex with other women, and the men did the same thing, started having sex with other men. What? There's no other. How can God be any clearer? He doesn't condone that. Paul said that is like the that is the the climax of somebody that has rejected the word of God and the call of God. Case closed. Case closed. Look at verse 28. We almost got to the end here. It says, verse 28, Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do, whatever, uh, let them do things that should never be done. Can you guys say abandoned them? Let's read through verse 32. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malice behavior, or malicious behavior, and gossip. And it says they're backstabbers, haters of God, uh, insolent, proud, and boastful. They, they invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Here's something that's interesting. Say the word abandon. 
So the Bible actually teaches that there is a line where God, the Bible says, turns you over to a reprobate mind. It's true. Guys, I'm telling you, we we love, and I'm telling you, these messages don't conflict about the grace of God. And how it's a free gift that you could never earn and it's not based off of your works. But we'll get into Romans chapter 6. Well, then should we go on sinning? Absolutely not. He said, in fact, if you actually go on to continue in sin, then you've misunderstood. You have not really received God's grace because when you do, it changes you. And and a good tree produces good fruit. And so, there is a line where God will actually turn you over. You see it used three times. Verse 26, 4, 26, and 28. Verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things they desired. Verse 26, it says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful hearts. Verse 28, it says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to do whatever foolish things, and He let them do the things that should never be done. So again, there's an intuitive knowledge that every person has. God calls you, God calls you, God calls you, God calls you, God calls you. That's why it's so important. Guys, I like the song, but we don't sing it at this church. There's no mountain I can't climb up, you know, thing that you won't come running after me. Because I I, I, I don't hate the song, but the theology is messed up. Because according to the Bible, there actually is a point where we keep denying, 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 where God actually turns us over to a reprobate mind. I don't know where that line is. And I know God is extremely merciful. He is full of grace. He wants everybody to be saved. But here's the reality. There is a line. That's why Hebrews 3.15 I'm going to end with this. Hebrews 3.15. Throw it on the screen for me. Remember what it says. Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Guys, it, it matters. Like when God calls you, when God, don't ever think that things in your life are a coincidence. If you're struggling in your life and you're watching this online, it, it Literally, if you are at a place where you're like, I don't really know who God is. I'm not sure about this. Listen to this. This is God calling out to you right now. You know, you have this knowledge. He's calling you. This is what it's talking about. When you hear him calling you, don't just whatever, cast it to the wayside. Receive the call of God. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Because if you don't and you reject it and reject it and reject it and reject it, God will turn you over to a reprobate mind. And what does that mean? If you really study it, it means that you're damned to hell. What does that mean that you're damned to hell? God, He would never show you mercy again? Absolutely not. God would show mercy to anybody that repents. But there's actually a point that you'll get to if you keep rejecting God that you'd never repent. That's what the Scripture means. You will get to a point if you continue to harden your heart and reject and reject and reject as He calls you, calls you, calls you, where you'll get to a point where your heart's hard and you'll never repent. You'll never receive God's grace. And so you will be subject to the wrath of God. So we'll, we'll finish with 29-32. through 32. And we finish Romans chapter 1. And it says this, verse 29. 
It says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. We just read that. Okay, we just read all of that. So let me just kind of conclude with this. At this point, as Paul's going through this list, right, he's talking about they became sinful, proud, disobeyed their parents, heartless, have no mercy. They're full of greed, envy, murder, gossip, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. He lists all these things. What's the point? Because a lot of people could look at that list and identify with something. A lot of people could look at that list and say, I've gossiped one time. I've disobeyed my parents. My mom said, hallelujah. I've quarreled. I've, and that's kind of Paul's point. Was he's proving the point that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And every single person is in need of a Savior. And his, he has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And you receive His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, justification, righteousness by faith. Not by ever being good enough. That means you're not disqualified from it right now. You can have it today if you simply believe in the name of Jesus Christ and acknowledge Him as Lord. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for feeding us by Your Word. We don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from Your mouth. Thank You for giving us revelation, knowledge, understanding. Give us application by the Holy Spirit this week as we take this Word. We, don't, we won't run away. We won't fall short. We'll keep the faith. Lord, thank You for building up our spirits and building our faith tonight because we know Your Word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we heard the Word of God, our faith has just increased and increased in this room to expect, to receive from You, to even know who You are and understand how You work. We thank You, Lord, and we give You glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys. See you Sunday morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.